Chapter 6. Fuck Clarity. On Sunday morning, we began with kundalini yoga. It turned out that Kara was not only a fabulously talented woman, but also a yoga instructor. Dressed in her white attire, she led us through a lovely hour. While we were doing alternating nostril breathing, without warning, these big, fat tears plopped out of my eyes. What the hell? Was I some sort of tear manufacturer? Where were all these tears coming from, and when would they end? Afterwards, we sat for another long meditation, a task that was mentally difficult in the way only an 80-minute meditation could be for an active mind. Kyle was running late, and I was distressed. Time was ticking away. Is this meditation, I thought, because this is fucking painful. My mind was so jacked up, I wanted to unzip myself and bolt. We'd been sitting for a long time, and I started fidgeting. Others were moving as well. My mind was in full judgment mode about Kyle, where he was, and why he was so late. At the height of my mind's tirade, the door opened, and so did my eyes. And there was Kyle with a bouquet of flowers for each of us. Terrific. I felt a flash of shame for thinking about him the way I did. We settled in, and Kyle said that today we were going to talk about our how. Finally, every how has to come from your why, Kyle was saying. Uh-oh, I could feel the anxiousness that always comes up when I have to get something right, and make no mistake about it, I definitely had to get this weekend right. Coming from an upbringing where people got good jobs, my experiment as an entrepreneur was causing me some significant financial woes, and those who loved me were concerned, and understandably so. I was concerned, too. The solution? I needed to go home with a why, a how, a plan, which means I had to go home with clarity. Clarity. Clarity so that my life would make sense and I'd know what I was doing and this whole crazy thing would work. And yes, so I could show the people around me that I could be successful without a traditional full-time job. Pressure was mounting. When it was my turn for Kyle's focus, I was ready. I told Kyle about the woman's retreat Shirley and I were collaborating on. He then asked, Okay, tell me why I should send Kara to it. I responded, but quickly began to fumble. He continued, You're telling me your how, your marketing plan. I want you to tell me the why. Why should I invest in sending Kara? What is she going to get from this weekend? I was getting wound up. Many of my future plans were riding on having these retreats generate income. And now I was experiencing myself unable to answer basic questions about them. We talked more about the name of my business, this awakening spirit, and the tagline, set your real self free. I loved them both and felt really good about the message. As Kyle talked about the audience I wanted to speak to and how using words like trapped might better resonate with them, my heart sunk. In that moment, my mind convinced me that I'd done it all wrong, that after spending these last three years giving it everything I had, that I still wasn't doing entrepreneurship right, whatever that looked like. All I wanted was to have the same success I saw others having, but I couldn't feel further away from it in that moment. I knew the importance of the why. I had to do this work that kept calling me back and inspired me to help others. I got that and wanted to have this piece understood. However, it wasn't something that was coming from me easily. 
there were all these other things I knew how to do and could do well. Be it a radio personality, interview people, do audio production, teach, speak, facilitate workshops, create successful events, work a room like nobody's business. I mean, it was a pretty long list. And yet, somehow, my entire new business focus rested in the hands of being able to explain why Cara should come to my retreat. I just couldn't do it anymore. While Kyle was trying to help me with my how, I had tuned him out. I wouldn't accept that the successful expression of my gifts and talents hinged entirely on me getting my why right. In that moment, I was letting myself off the hook, and it felt good. Like Kyle said the day before, let go of what's heavy. Well, needing to know the answer to his question in that moment was one of the heaviest things I was carrying, and I decided to put it down. It was wild. Kyle was finally giving me what I asked him to give me, and it was pissing me off. My brain was a ball of confusion. I couldn't gather it up if I tried. He saw me struggling. Look, you want me to tell you what to do, but I can't. I can tell you what I did, but I can't tell you what to do. You have those answers. You've got all these expectations about how it's supposed to look, and you're not loving what is. Try saying this. I'm confused and I love it. There was a long silence. I had been resisting his diagnosis since Saturday, and though I continued to present my case for needing answers, he continued to focus on my confusion. All I could think was, I didn't have as much confusion before I got here as I do now, and I paid for this? My mind made a last-ditch effort to avoid being hauled out of its safe place of blaming Kyle for my problem instead of accepting what he was saying. This was an epic battle of logic and feeling, of self-righteousness and self-love. Everyone in the room felt it too. Kyle stayed sitting in an unbelievable state of compassion and empathy for what was happening within me, and because of that, I could no longer resist the truth of what he'd been saying. Eventually, I could feel my resistance and exasperation crash into each other. As Springsteen sings, Refusal, and then surrender. Fuck clarity, I said to the group. What is clarity anyway? I'm confused and I love it. Applause and laughter filled the room. I felt an instantaneous relief. My entire body released an enormous weight. Suddenly, grace. Speaking in a soft, loving voice, Kyle gave me my prescription. Congratulations. Accepting your confusion transmutes it dissolves the resistance to what is. He mentioned Katie Byron's work in her fabulous book, Loving What Is. Having used her approach in my own self-growth, I understood what he was saying, how accepting my mental mayhem, instead of pushing against it, was indeed keeping me connected to myself. Here's what I want you to do as a way to heal your confusion, Kyle said. I want you to meditate for an hour a day, every day, for 100 days. And after that, I want you to roll a video about the experience and post it on Facebook. What? An hour? That's my reward for finally surrendering? I'd been meditating for about 10 years, on and off, most recently on, but never for an hour. I usually max out at about 20 minutes. An hour? How could I do an hour? Then he asked his assistant, Kara, are there any books on confusion yet? Check the confusion method. She grabbed her phone and did a quick search. Nope. 
Next, he told me, I want you to start writing about this. Write about your confusion. There's a book here. No one has written a book yet on confusion as a way to clarity. His excitement was starting to rub off on me, though it felt overwhelming. Resistance tried to counter, but died in a whimper. Then he said, either you write a book about confusion or I will. How well he knew me in such a short amount of time. Nothing like a challenge. I agreed to his terms, telling everyone, no, I'll do it. Not that I'm competitive or anything. More laughter as I sealed my fate. As the day grew into the night, the others in the room received Kyle's time and attention as well. Watching Kyle give so selflessly of himself, I remembered that his fiancée was waiting at home, pregnant with their first child, that he had a book about to launch, and who knows what else was on his plate. And yet, he was still there with us. The clock rolled past nine, and then ten o'clock. Five hours past the official end to this weekend. It dawned on me. Kyle didn't need us, yet here he was, still with us. He wasn't leaving until each of us has this final time with him. I was deeply moved by how much he cared. He said he was investing in us because he wanted co-leaders to join him in this evolutionary, revolutionary change. While we wrapped up, I looked at him and said, You know what? It's almost 11 o'clock and you're still here, even though you don't have to be. You could have left hours ago but you're so committed to seeing us through this process that you're still here, even though your fiancé is texting you wondering what the hell is going on. The only way I can say thank you is to do what I said I'll do. Clearly, you see something I don't see, and so I'll do it until I see it too. I gave him my word. I'm in. To close the deal, Kara recorded us all saying what we agreed to. For me, it was 100 days of meditating for an hour a day, making a video after each meditation and uploading it to social media and writing about my confusion. Truly the most absurd commitment I'd ever made, but at least I could say I got something from this weekend, although worlds away from what I thought it would be. Chapter 7. And so it begins. I woke up on Monday morning, my last day in L.A., completely fried. I struggled to sit up in bed for my first meditation, and I set my phone's timer for one hour. I closed my eyes. Suddenly, the enormity of my commitment began to sink in. One hundred days of meditating for one hour, only to make a video afterwards of whatever I'd just experienced and post it on Facebook? Holy shit, what had I said yes to? I'm sure at some point I fell asleep because I woke up. But no matter... I did it. The timer chimed, and true to my word, I rolled video and posted it on Facebook. Saying goodbye was not easy for Sasha and me. We had already said goodbye to Mark and Kat the night before, at the end of our marathon 12-hour final day of the retreat. It was surreal as we took pictures with Kyle and hugged. This morning, I just felt raw. To go from this emotional cocoon back home to Anchorage was not something I was ready for. Though parts of the weekend had been painful, there was much that was not. To have gone so deep, so fast, and to hold such a space for these tremendous and beautiful people who were willing to do the inner work to live their magnificence was unlike anything I'd ever done. I didn't want it to stop, and this ending felt abrupt. 
Sasha and I were standing outside in the warm California sun, waiting for my Uber driver to take me to the airport. Sasha, what am I going to write about? I have no idea what I'm doing. In all her magnificence, she replied, and that's exactly what Kyle wants you to write about. Just meditate, move from your heart, and keep writing. There was silence between us, the kind of silence that holds the ache of an unwanted goodbye. We were both kind of numb, though Sasha was feeling better than I. Her breakthrough on Sunday was miraculous and life-changing. She released a lot of pain and was feeling lighter. We hugged and promised to see each other soon and talk sooner. As I drove away, I felt unbearably vulnerable and wished like hell she was coming with me. Inside the packed LAX airport, waiting, my mind was still going crazy. Only now it was telling me, hurry up, write it all down before you forget. Oh, great. Not only did I have the pressure of not knowing what the hell I was doing and feeling confused about my life, I also had the additional pressure of trying to write down everything that happened this weekend before I forgot. 35,000 feet above the earth, and all I could tell myself was to keep writing. Kyle had said, give me 60,000 words, and I was going to do it. The mind chatter, though, was off the hook. I was doing something I'd never done before, and my mind didn't like it. It had no reference point, no past to cling to. Do you even know what the hell you're writing about? Well, not really, except that I did. I was writing about being confused, which was quite easy for me to do just then because I had never been more confused in my life. It was so interesting how nonstop my thinking was. It was really extraordinary to be so aware of it, to observe how often my thoughts made me feel worthless or completely stressed out. I closed my laptop because I felt like I was pushing to write and thought, no, let's just meditate a bit. But moments later, there it was, cracking the whip again and telling me to keep writing. What if you forget? Then you won't have a book. Then you won't have the money. Then you won't have a life. Good grief. Where did this stuff come from? I remembered Kyle saying to me on Sunday that while I believed clarity was the answer to everything, what it created instead was mental stress, especially since I didn't have any clarity. Confusion resulted from going outside of myself to find whatever it was that I believed I didn't have. What was additionally interesting to me was that I knew this. My spiritual education taught me this. In fact, I was teaching other people this. And yet, here I was doing it. In the few notes taken during the weekend, I wrote that my thoughts, specifically my questions, distracted me from my focus because they set me up to believe that I didn't know the answer or I didn't know how to do something. They caused me stress because they made me feel I wasn't on the right path or I didn't know the right thing to do or that I needed to figure something out in order for my business and my life to be a success. My questions caused delay. They caused me to second-guess myself. Ultimately, they caused decision paralysis. As the plane took me closer to home, I huddled in the middle seat with my sunglasses on, but they couldn't hide the tears. I was remembering how, over the weekend, Kyle had us do another exercise where we listed things we saw as positive and negative about ourselves. I had put crying on the negative list. Well, today, I was redefining it as a positive. 
My crying was an asset. It was helping me release. My goddess, the number of things we stirred up in three days was insane. We had completed such big work, and I kept thinking how much better it would be if we were all still there having one more day. But I wasn't there. It was over, and I was heading home. In that moment, I didn't even care if any of these thoughts of mine became a book. The sheer act of writing was therapy, and that's what I needed most. I touched down in Anchorage at 1 a.m., the frigid temperature of the night blasting through my California outfit as I waited for a taxi. Once back at the house, I took a hot shower and crawled into bed, desperately hoping for sleep as the night moved on. I was feeling shell-shocked. I'd been so happy before I left Alaska, and now, just five days later, I was utterly depressed. What the fuck? There was a loud army of thought soldiers marching across the field of my heart with unrelenting commentary. So, how is now any different than last week? At least last week you were excited. Now you're crying. You thought you were coming home with all these answers and all this clarity, and you still have no sense of what to do next. We still don't know when we should go back to New Jersey, what to do about an income, where to spend these last weeks or days or however long you're staying in Alaska before you move on again. You have no events, nothing to teach, no job, and instead you're writing what's supposedly going to become a book about the confusion method and how loving your confusion leads to clarity? In spite of the war of words raging in my head, I reached for my phone and set the meditation alarm for 7 a.m. and day two of the confusion experiment.